Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop, 24 7th Sports. My name is Drew Alex, joined by two-thirds of the crew for now. We look to be rounding out in just a matter of a few short minutes, but Doug, Matei, how are you, gentlemen? Great. Season's finally here. Uh, game week. Game week. I guess Evan couldn't get the kids down in time, but uh, hopefully he joins on in a little bit. But yeah, exciting stuff. We got... I spent last weekend watching Ohio, San Diego State, which was exciting. Um, but now we get now we get the real thing going. Well, I got to say, Doug, it wasn't just Ohio, San Diego State that you watched. You and me both, whether it be real estate, whether it be crypto, what we do with the money doesn't matter to the people listening. All they should know is that we are big winners. <laughs> it was too I, easy. I think Notre Dame's legit it's, with Sammy Hartman. Best quarterback they've probably had since, what, Brady Quinn? Yeah, I mean, we it's Sam. We knew he was really good. I mean, now he's on a team that's recruited at a pretty high level for the last four years or whatever it is, five years. So I I think they're pretty legit. That He was the missing piece, right? I can't even remember who their quarterback was last year, but he wasn't any good. Buckner? Was that who it was? Yeah, Buckner. Tyler Buckner was the name. All I'll tell people is, right, when we lose to Rutgers or Marshall <laughs> or whatever it is, just remember, like, Notre Dame went a full season without a win. Notre Dame. It happens. It happens to the best of us. But uh, you're starting off on a pessimistic note here. I mean, I'm not saying we know. Are you saying Tech's going to go 0-12 this year? No, I'm not saying Tech's going to be 0-12. I've publicly stated my prediction. Six and six. But I know that without a doubt, they will lose a game that people will be mad that they lost. Whether that be Rutgers, whether that be Marshall, whether that be a Syracuse, hopefully not UVA or ODU. But there will be a game that they lose that will leave a bad taste in people's mouth. Hopefully they can make it up with one of the reversals. But we'll get to all of that. Prediction justification. ODU preview. If you're here and you're listening, the reason you're listening is because you don't know anything about the ODU football league. And I'll give you a hint. No one does, except for Doug Bowman, who knows a very little bit about them, but much more than almost any other living human being on this earth. So stay tuned for the end of the podcast for our ODU preview. But let's start things out with the depth. Do these depth charts matter? Maybe. Are they accurate? Generally not entirely. But for the first time, the coaches are trying to give you something about what this team will look like, what the distribution of the playing time will look like. And I I think it's caught at a few positions, a lot of fans and members of the media by surprise. Doug Bowman, when you saw that depth chart this morning, you thought what? Uh, first thing is I'm all aboard the Keyshawn Burgos hype train. Uh, that's definitely the number one thing. And I mean, Brent Price said he was in the mix to start. I think that was the first media availability of fall camp was the first that you heard that like Keyshawn Burgos was making a push for staying playing time. It looks like he's, he won, he won the job outright over uh, Cole Nelson and, 
that goes back to you know Prize talked about they brought in the martial arts guy they talked they've talked all all season about the need to rush the passer more and APR Powell Ryland on the other side is certainly a part of that but it sounds like that's what gave uh, Burgos the edge over Nelson is just you know throwing out some numbers but like nelson seems like a guy's his ceiling's probably like four sacks in the year burgo's probably like eight sacks like there's the there's more pass rushing potential out of burgos and that's what gave him the edge um pride today said uh like burgos is got great motor but he's still young he's still making some mistakes but he just makes more plays in the backfield than nelson and that's that was the big thing i think that immediately jumps off is that he i don't think anybody going into the offseason, expected Burgos to be the starting defensive end, and, and here he is. So I think that's the that's one thing. I think the second thing is obviously the the youth, particularly in the defensive secondary, Penix, Braylon Johnson, uh, Dante Levitt, three true freshmen there going. Um, they're going to – Price said this is also in August. He said, you know, they, they've got to get through the first part of the year with Monsor Delane. Derek Canteen and Dorian Strong healthy because if they have to play these freshmen bigger roles than they're ready for too early, it's going to be problematic. So, you know, I think those those three f- true freshmen are in great spots and certainly um, you feel really good about where they are, but like they can't play in September that much or, or, or they, unless the games are out of hand, like they tech is going to need to rely on the big three of Delane and Canteen and Strong to like, give them a chance to continue developing into the middle part of the year before, before it gets even like a possibility to rely on them in a big role. So I think those were the two big things to me. Um, I guess, you know, third thing, I guess you look at the wide receivers, they listed four starting, they listed eight receivers, four starter, four starting spots, I guess, Gosnell, Ollie Jennings, Daquan Felton and Jalen Lane. And I don't know how much, the the other four guys, Aiden Green, Turner Bradshaw, Lofton, and Holloway are really like in the mix. Like four four receivers tends to be enough. And like if you're the fifth receiver, you're not getting many targets, you're not getting that many snaps. So like I think tech is pretty set there and I'll be interested to see just how much a guy like you know, if Aiden Green is the number seven wide receiver here, I don't know that he needs to play more than four games this year. But um, I think that's something to watch over the next, at least in the first part of the year, is like you got four pretty good top tier, your top tier receivers there. I, I don't know how much more you need. So you can maybe shrink that part of the depth chart a little bit. We'll see if they start running out the four verts. I think that was the first comment I made was just seeing the four wide receiver depth chart was pretty crazy. Um, but um, <laughs> four verts and then. A- they just circle off the field and the next four come on. They they were just playing too much NCAA, doing the uh, audible to the right that gives you the four verts. Everyone knows yeah. that, the up-tempo. Um, I think for me, I mean, Doug pretty much touched on the big ones, you know, mainly the depth in the secondary. Uh, you know, maybe a little bit of gamesmanship in terms of the tight end depth chart, just with Nick Gallo. Uh, seems like a Dorian Strong type of, you know, questionable day-to-day from last year where, you know, Dorian Strong was at the top of the depth chart for, I think, like four weeks before they ruled him out for the season. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with Nick Gallo, but I think it's interesting that, you know, Benji Gosnell shares the oar with Daquan Wright. 
uh, coming off two consecutive ACL tears um, and just having two guys that are six foot five, six foot four, uh, you know, roughly 250 pounds. I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how they are used in this offense. Obviously, we saw flashes from Daquan Wright last year, um, and he's definitely going to have a bigger role uh, if he's fully healthy coming into week one. And then, you know, Benji Gosnell, I think a lot of fans are excited to see former four-star guy, what he can do, especially as a pass catcher. Um, and then, you know, other than that, I think it, it's not really a huge note because I think we all knew that Bashal Tutton and Malachi Thomas were kind of the 1A, 1B. But I do think it's interesting that in Sharon Orr on the depth chart, it's Bashal Tutton is first. And then it's Malachi Thomas. Obviously, those guys are probably going to see uh, pretty much an equal work share. And maybe it's just because Tutton is, you know, more adept at catching the ball out of the backfield. And that's why he's listed up there. Tootin. Tutton. It's right there on the depth chart. I can't. I'm right now looking at Andy <laughs> Bitter's tweet and I'm trying to zoom in to, to see. I, I just don't want another Bull Merrick situation here. Listen, it, it always starts I week one. Let you go. I should have let you go. <laughs> it always starts week one with the pronunciations. I got to say something wrong. It, it gets the people engaged into the podcast. Well, these players have uh, a major opportunity to have their name announced. And we'll try not to mess it up from there on out. Unfortunately, Connor Blumrick, Blumerick was misused throughout his tenure. And, <laughs> you know, it wasn't until... Was he on the, the team last year? Technically speaking, yes. He was a top 20 player yeah. as announced by Brent Pry last year. So he was, like, was essentially as a receiving option, what like Felton is this year. Like the number four option? Probably. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, you're out. Either way, the point, being, oh, the point being the point the point being I'm not trying to diss Felton. <laughs> I'm trying to compliment the uh, the upgrade that the you know, that's fair. Essentially, skill positions have got William Kagavitsis was the starting wide receiver on the same depth chart last year. Look how far we've come. <laughs> God, a year is a long time. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, we got Evan G. Watkins. Evan Watkins, we are live on the pod. You are on mute. What's going on? Man, I got I, I got the longest experience at a mexican restaurant tonight but it was so long here's the silver lining it took so long that the waitress apologized and brought tequila shots to everyone at the table so here i am i'm here i've made all it. right excellent excellent well evan we were just talking about the depth chart any big surprises for you things that stood out yeah you know i think when you look at the the gamesmanship if you if that's what you want to call it on the depth chart. I, I never take a depth chart more than just kind of face value, but you know, the talk about Cole Beck having a special teams role and not being mentioned. I think that's interesting. Um, you know, you look at uh, the amount of transfers, the amount of newcomers that are littering the the first team and the second team. Um, you know, I think that caught my eye. I put out, uh, you know, something like 75% of the, transfers the scholarship transfers are on the first team so i think that shows that virginia tech has at least improved the roster through the uh the transfer portal um you know i think uh i i asked uh pry about it today in the press conference about 
um, Bashul Tutin being a true number one? Is that kind of an or situation or is he a true number one? Um, and it sounds like he's, you know, there's a one-two punch there. And, and Price said he couldn't mention one without the other, but there is no or designation. It, you know, is, is he going to be the bell cow type of back? You know, kind of like we saw, maybe not as similar in the in the running style or the type, but similar to what we saw with Khalil Herbert, where he was the clear-cut number one guy, giving him, uh, you know, the bulk of the carries. Is is that how Tootin is going to be this year? So, you know, for the most part, it was uh, what we expected. Um, you know, obviously Gallo's injury and then having him listed at tight end one, that, that gamesmanship I was talking about. We'll see if he plays. They say questionable. Um, you know, we'll see what happens there. But not a whole lot of shock and surprise, kind of what we expected it to be going into a game week of two coaches that know each other pretty well and, and probably want to disguise as much as they can. Just looking at this depth chart, tight end Benji Gosnell, redshirt freshman, left tackle Xavier Chaplin, redshirt freshman, backup left tackle Brody Meadows, redshirt freshman, left guard Braylon Moore, redshirt freshman, left guard Johnny Blake. It's young, and especially if they're running Gosnell on the left side, they're going to go three straight redshirt freshmen trying to block. Um, our, our concerns about blocking in the offensive line uh, – remain uh, on whether whether this is going to be a struggle or 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 if chap i mean they they seem they seem really pleased with what chaplin's done and more kind of has been that i mean they've evolved more braylon more since last year so um we'll see but i mean that's a still pretty big concern when you're that young on the left side of the line yeah i think i think you bring up to a good point because Without Gallo, there is no veteran that you can chip in on the left side to try and help, right? So, and a lot of people, when we talked about it in the offseason, when Gallo opted to return, it's it's a lot of what he brings in the in the dirty work, a lot of what he brings to the table in the locker room and things like that. So, you know, if he helped bring along some of those guys, you know, Benji's athletically, if his knees hold up, he's athletically, you know, he, he's above Gallo. He has more athleticism there. He's just a, an all-around jumbo athlete um, as long as he can stay healthy. Harrison St. Germain's a little bit of an interesting one to me because I think he could be more of that inline blocker, that true tight end, but but he's also a very green redshirt freshman. You got Wimbush that could, could maybe get in as like an H-back, but he's a true freshman. So there really isn't that safety net that Wells had not only as a, as a safety valve in the passing game, but as somebody that could help shore up that left side of the line, help Xavier Chaplin a little bit out and and see, um, you know, try to take some pressure off of him and take some pressure off the blind side. That's pretty much gone if Gallo can't go. So it it's, it's worrisome there. You know, if if I'm an opposing defensive coordinator, that's where I'm going to try and tee up a little more than usual. Doug, John Love wins his position back, a battle against kickoff specialist Kyle Lowe. How confident are you in the Hokies' kicking game this year? I know we'll have an entire podcast dedicated to Peter Moore and the punting game, (laughs) but in terms of Virginia Tech's ability to make field goals, above or below Power 5 average? 
I don't know what power five average is, first of all, but right at it, I get. I mean, I'm not very confident in John Love. I mean, they they had the battle with Kyle Lowe that went went to the wire. It certainly seems. Uh, Price said today that Lowe is an option on. He started by saying long long field goals, but then he added he did like extra extra long field goals for Lowe. So I I, I take that as like 55 or 60 yards and beyond is what Lowe would do, but. At the same time, he was kind of hedging a little bit that Lowe is going to be ready. It doesn't seem like it seems seems like they went to Love, and they or they are trying to show the confidence and um, you know give him what he needs to be a really a successful kicker, which is not a competition. Which is you're our guy from in almost every single situation. You're a field goal kicker. I kind of didn't quite believe pry that much when he was talking about that today so i think that's um that's a that's going to be a something to watch definitely early in the year is, is his first couple i don't think the leash is long on john love i'll say that like i think for for kicking battle that went that long it's kind of feels like it's still ongoing they're they're trying to get love to that point where he's that full-time kicker but you know, if he's if he struggles early, I don't think they'll hesitate to get a low. Matei, between Thomas and Tootin, let's eliminate Old Dominion here and say against Rutgers and Purdue, right? Because we'll imagine a scenario where the Old Dominion game can get out of hand in favor of Virginia Tech. In crunch time minutes against a Power 5 opponent, what do you think the split of the carries looks like percentage-wise? Well, I think it's interesting because, like I was mentioning earlier with Tootin, like he's more adept as being like a pass catcher, like your third down running back. He's also a guy that clearly had so much success last year. Um, Malachi Thomas has always seemed like someone that's been good inside the tackles. And, you know, just based on what I've seen out of Tootin, he seems like someone that's outside the tackle. So I think they do complement each other well. I would imagine this is kind of a 55-45 type of split, if not 50-50. But again, it's tough with running backs. When when you go into the season and you're saying, okay, we have two guys that we know can do multiple things, can be good in multiple situations, you kind of have to go with the guy that has the hot hand that's showing that he can do it. If Tudin is not able to do it in crunch time against a Power 5 opponent – you can trot out Malachi Thomas in there and hope that, you know, he's turning the chains, right? So um, they definitely have a lot of options there, but, you know, I would imagine it would be a 55-45 type of split. Here's an interesting one. And you can go around the table for this one. Imagine you can give a, a cloak of safety to any player on this offense. Who are you protecting? That player cannot and will not get hurt all season long. Who is it? Caden Moore, 100%. I think everything is going to have to go through him. The run game is going to go through him. I think the pass game is going to kind of – I think he's going to dictate a lot of that. He is – I mean, him and Clements are the only upperclassmen on the line. He's – you know, I think he's the leader of the offensive line room. Um, and I think if you look across the line, you know, if 
if a guy like Chaplin, you know, Chaplin has all the athleticism in the world, but he's so raw right now. If he goes down, you replace him with another raw player. If Braylon goes down, you replace him with another raw player. I, I don't know that if Caden Moore went down, I don't know that you could replace him with somebody that has any type of experience whatsoever. It'd be a guy like Jack Hollyfield or, um, you know, somebody else that has some snapping experience in practice, but has never shown it in a game. I think that has to be, that has to be the one. I mean, if you can't protect the entire offensive line, Caden Moore has to be the one that you protect to, to help the offense run. I thought for sure Evan was going to go with Steve Goss now there, but um, don't you put that on him. He has last year, and he, he'll be good to go. Um, I I'm going to stay on the offensive line. I'm going to say it's Xavier Chaplin, uh, left tackle, protects the quarterback's blind side, key part of the obviously key part of the running run block and all that stuff. Far as we can tell, nobody came close to unseating Xavier Chaplin as a left tackle this year. Brody Maddox is lifted, listed as a back backup left tackle. He was practicing at right guard. He was in the mix at right guard. So, I mean, I think I think it was far and away Chaplin's job to lose, and he didn't come close to losing it. And, and so I think if you lose him in that backside, um, especially if Wells is your quarterback, and we talked last time about kind of his his ability to, to keep the train on the tracks when things break down, I think that's a becomes a big problem if you lose the left tackle and he starts to doubt the protection on the left side on his blind side. Um, so I'm going Chaplin there. I, I think that's a, I mean, that's such a critical piece of any offense and it doesn't seem like there's much like, like there's questions about Chaplin, but there's, I don't know who, I don't, I don't even know if Meadows is best position as left tackle at this point. So I think it's a bigger question if he goes down. Yeah, I feel like it's without a doubt someone on the offensive line. Like that's the biggest question for Virginia Tech heading into next season. I, you know, if you could give back health, I would say Nick Gallo, just so you could have that veteran presence that Evan was talking about in the tight end room. Um, but you know, going outside of the offensive line, maybe a guy like Jalen Lane, um, who's probably going to be pretty pivotal in terms of being the slot guy, being the punt return guy, beating out, you know, Tucker. Holloway there. So um, someone that's, you know, obviously a versatile wide receiver, but as we see with the depth chart, you know, going four wide, um, they have eight bodies there. So really it has to be someone on the offensive line, but um, in terms of big time playmakers, maybe Jalen Lane um, at wide receiver. I'll reverse it now. Who has the shortest leash? Only one of you can say Grant Wells. Grant Wells. Great one. Yes. <laughs> All right. I'm going Bob Schick at right guard. Um, last last spot on the offensive line that was up for grabs until the scrimmage, the, the last scrimmage of fall camp. Um, and, and Clayton Frady as a transfer they brought in with a lot of experience. I think that's that's got the, other than Wells. I feel like that's the obvious spot. It was one of the last starting spots that was in question. They've got a backup, probably the only experience back up there um, in Frady. So that's, I think that's the, gotta be the pick, right? I don't see anybody else. I think if you, if you, if you bow out and don't say Grant Wells, which I was the first to say it and I'm going to stick with it, but I would say other than that, I think Dwayne Lofton is a guy that's sitting there on the depth chart 
and you saw the drops last year. He he's shown he has potential. You saw the drops last year. You you've heard about him through fall camp. If he doesn't take a step forward, there's a lot of guys in that room that are going to steal his his spot. They're going to steal his rotation. So I think right now is kind of you know put up or shut up time for him to if he wants to stay in the rotation and he wants to continue to play at this level, uh, I think he needs to really step it up and improve or he's going to find himself replaced pretty quickly. The impact freshman at the end of the year, when we look back at these true freshmen, like you mentioned, six of them listed on the depth chart. Who is going to be the one that at the end of the year we say that was the guy that was your Mansour Delane, that was your Isaiah Ford 2014, that was your Trey Turner 2018. Who is it? I, I think I put this in. I, I, we did like an article a couple of weeks ago about like some of the most underrated players on both sides of the ball. And, you know, one player that stuck out to me was Mose Phillips. And obviously being behind a guy like Nasir Peoples, who doesn't get hurt, knock on wood, like, you know, is always out there. Um, I think he's a guy that will see some reps this year. Obviously, he was listed in the two deep. He's someone that if you've seen like some of the the photos from the offseason, like he looks like he's a sophomore or a junior in terms of someone that's been in the weight room and has the body to be able to compete at this level. Um, hard hitter um, and, and and someone that's really been spoken highly of in the offseason. So he's someone that I think a lot of fans will love eventually. And while his role may not be that big, just because he's behind the Sear peoples right now, I think he's someone that when he does get on the field this fall uh, will impress a lot of people. Yeah, I, I I agree. I agree with Matei. I think I've told some people this before in the past that he reminds me of the rotation that Virginia Tech had. It was it was brief, if I remember correctly, but Terrell Edmonds and Divine Diablo. When Diablo moved from offense to defense, they were in a pretty solid rotation, getting Divine really quality snaps. And I think that that is what we will probably see. I think we'll see. Mo's get maybe a little more rotational play than people might think uh, with Nazir Peoples. Um, I also think Aiden Green is has a chance. Now, he might be overshadowed because of the transfers and some other guys in the wide receiver room. But, you know, I think he's a guy that uh, the minute he showed up on campus, I think you could tell that he was really all about business and performing uh, and putting it, you know, putting it on on display as a true freshman. So, I think he's earned it, and I think he's going to get a, a pretty big uh, big shot to be in the rotation at wide receiver this year. I'm really tempted to go Caleb Woodson here. I just don't – knowing how high Virginia Tech was on was on him um, coming out of the – off the recruiting trail, like they, they have had Caleb Woodson pinned in that star spot as the next guy there like dating back to when they started recruiting him and he's already the top backup there. I just don't know how many snaps there are going to be between like Jenkins and then they'll, they'll sub off Jenkins and put in a nickel, probably Derek Canteen. So I don't, I don't, I don't know that he plays enough this year to get this distinction. So I'm going Dante. Love it. Tech has a long history of true freshman corners playing backup roles and impressing go through the list going back 15 years now so one of these guys whether it's 
Jenkins or Penix or, or, or Johnson is really going to be that fourth corner. He's probably going to emerge and, and play that role and play a decent amount. Um, I like love it. 190 pounds coming from a good high school program. You know, Braylon Johnson, I guess, is the same same situation except a little lighter. But, um, you know, you got to pick one. So I'm, I think one of those two corners will have a pretty um, – pretty decent role as that fourth corner no matter what but um i'll go love it there i think love it's a good pick too people underestimate the maryland defensive backs at virginia tech maryland defensive backs at virginia tech do well historically i don't know what it is doesn't matter what school you came from if you came from the state of maryland you're gonna be a pretty good corner at virginia tech you can you can put some money on it history does tell the story there any final thoughts on the depth chart before we move on to prediction justification time? All right. Well, it's time to explain yourselves, gentlemen. First things first, I want to go back to last year to talk about how we did. Oh, no. <laughs> the answer is we all did pretty poorly. How about Evan? I want to know about just Evan. Like, just like the team, we all underperformed. <laughs> We all under. I can't even remember what this was. Did Evan get an inverse? If I remember correctly, oh, I, I probably did. I was. I. I, I did bad. I did. This the, is why the inverse would go to Billy Ray Mitchell, who predicted the Hokies to go nine and three. <laughs> uh, in terms of accuracy, Andrew and Matei came in closest. Three games off the six and six record. Oh boy. I remember Doug. you were pessimistic, Alex. Back. <laughs> yeah, everyone was beating me with a wooden stick. And it turns out I was being too optimistic. Uh, what was that? Doug, Doug was at seven and five. Oh, all right. I'm fine with that. I'm pretty sure Doug, I was at uh, eight. Yeah. And then Evan G. Watkins came in at eight and four. Did anybody yeah. take ODU? Nobody took ODU. Uh, Believe it or not, the majority at that time, and keep in mind this was a much broader prediction set than we did this year, more people picked Boston College than picked Virginia Tech in a game that Virginia Tech actually managed to win. West Virginia was about a split. Most took Carolina correctly. Most took Pitt correctly. Unanimous Miami. Unanimous NC State. Near unanimous Virginia Tech picks against Georgia Tech with Andrew Alex being the exception. He took the Yellow Jackets. Wow. Almost everyone picked Duke or everyone picked Virginia Tech to beat Duke, excuse me, except for Andy Bitter. Everyone picked Tech to beat Liberty. That was right. And then the UVA Tech game did not happen. We will not judge that pick. Regardless, we move forward to this year. It is a new year. We can't be dwelling on the past. And everyone seems to be roughly in the same ballpark. But Andrew Alex cannot claim the most pessimistic title. That one goes to Matei among the BT Scoop crowd, coming in at five and seven. Andrew Alex, Doug Bowman, and Amber Marie coming in at six and six. The optimists in the group, Colby Crawford, the young gun, and one Evan. And G. Watkins. It's always at seven and five. Evan trying to sell some subscriptions there. <laughs> Pump it up. I'm losing business, and Evan is just trying to, you know, yeah. keep it rolling. Some would say the fans don't want to hear you predict a losing record. Matei says otherwise. 
tell us about in a, in, a, in a general way what your thought process was filling out this schedule yeah i think it was a bit more difficult this year i mean every year i kind of look at it like something's going to happen that nobody expects and that's probably you know wherever your mindset is it's probably going to drop a game or two um off what you think and i just i just feel with virginia tech after last year even though they brought in some quality transfers and it seems like the offense is revamped. I'm just really, I'm not sold on the offensive line. I think the defense for, you know, what they did lose and what they bring back, uh, some of the additions there, I think it's good, but I don't know if all the additions as a lump sum equate to, you know, three plus wins. I see it as like, you know, they're they're beginning to shift this culture from last year. We're constantly seeing these videos about, you know, Brent Price saying, when I came here, losing was okay. Um, and it, it, you're still dealing with a lot of those guys on the roster, and you're still trying to, you know, put in temporary uh, replacements in the lineup just so you can, you know, make it a more competitive product before the guys that you recruit are able to grow into what you want them to be. So I still think it's another year out before we see like more of a true uh, Brent Pry roster. And I just think with how the schedule is set up, like it's not the most difficult schedule, but it's not one of those extremely easy, like you're out of conference games. Like we can all, you know, unanimously, we all said Virginia Tech will be old dominion, but even with the coaching change at Purdue, Rutgers that isn't, you know, the the cream of the crop in the Big Ten and Marshall, which is, you know, actually a really good school, you're not going against, you know, it's not a walk in the park against anyone on the schedule. So, uh, and again, you don't have the Georgia Techs or the Dukes. Um, so even though it's not the best uh, schedule in terms of, you know, difficulty, I still think most of the games on the schedule are toss-ups. And I don't know if I believe in Virginia Tech enough with their deficiencies on the offensive line uh, to believe that, you know, they'll get over the hump dramatically from last year. So you actually were in the minority picking Virginia Tech to beat Purdue. Do you chalk that up to new coach, new quarterback, a lot of key players on both sides of the ball exiting or because I, I feel like popular opinion, not just within our group, but among the fans as well, would be that Rutgers is the more winnable of those two games, despite the fact that it's going to be on the road for a variety of reasons, one of them being that Rutgers has no atmosphere. It's basically going to be a home game for Virginia Tech, what have you. Why Purdue and then the loss to Rutgers? Yeah, I just feel like with Brom coming in, I know it's a first-year head coach, but he gets a quarterback that he's worked with in the past, and I just feel like it, the the pieces that they have on the offense, I feel like he'll be able to incorporate his style a lot easier than Virginia Tech, which is you know under a new first-year coordinator that's putting in a new offense and a new offensive line coach and Brent Pry, you know, for the first year calling plays like. Brom has done all of this before and he has a lot of the personnel that he's been able to bring in. So I'm less confident in the Purdue game. Um, and I definitely think that um, Rutgers overall is a lesser opponent. So I feel more confident there. 
And the loss of Syracuse, just your shot in the dark. What can go wrong will go wrong pick. It's uh, Garrett Schrader. I, he's a guy that, you know, I, I remember the game from like two years. What was the final score? It was like 42 to 35. It was the game that like Malachi Thomas broke out with three touchdowns. But, you know, that was a game that that was a game that everyone thought Virginia Tech was easily going to win. And again, how many times have we seen? I know it's going to be under the lights uh, in Lane Stadium and everyone's, you know, so hyped up. And I'm not I'm you know, I, I want by this part of the season that fans are excited for this type of game. Um, so I'm sorry for my pessimism here, but I just feel like Syracuse, even though they've lost a lot, you know, Sean Tucker, that Schrader as a running bet, like as a running quarterback under the lights, running free on the defense late in the season, kind of taking the air out of the fan base. It, it's one of those games that I see Syracuse just really getting up for and one of those games that is so overhyped for Virginia Tech that it's it's hard to match that energy. Just I, I feel like in the past couple of years, we've seen, you know, these big under the lights games. The opposing team is always up for it. And Virginia Tech, something something happens where they lose. So that's my shot in the dark. I think that's, you know, on out of any game here, that's probably the most 50-50 in my mind. Matei, uh, Syracuse, three ga- three games before they play Virginia Tech. Did you look at their schedule? I did not. Clemson, UNC, Florida State, back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Oh, like, boy. They coming into lane on a three-game losing streak with Babers on the hot seat. They got the bye, though. They they they'll, have it, they'll have the bye. Win oh. for your coach. Win for your coach. He's doubling down on it. Fair point. It's a fair kind of point. <laughs> All right. So now as I look over, you know, our, our communal picks here, I'd just like to mention, shout out Colby, picking Virginia Tech to go 4-0 in the non-conference play. Talk about good for subscriptions. That'll be good <laughs> for subscriptions. That'll the People will be out here lying left and right. No $1 deals that month. No $1 deals. You guys sell full up the price. price. Yeah. If anything, people should sign up now before Colby's correct. I knew I liked Colby. uh but uh in reality here i I have a uh, a question to pose and i'd like to pit doug and evan against each other it seems like as i look across the media landscape what would probably have seemed to be an unpopular opinion has turned into almost a consensus opinion that Virginia Tech's going to Marshall and lose. I'm with it. I picked Marshall. Doug, you're taking the thunder and herd out there in Huntington to come away with the victory. Evan, you said, all right, Virginia Tech's going to take this one home. Evan, you start. Why will Virginia Tech beat Marshall on the road? And Doug, you counter. Honestly, this one that one was probably one of the toughest games to pick because Marshall has been a bit of a trending program, uh, you know, for a little while. You've been able to see it. Um, but I, I feel like they did lose a decent amount. Um, and I think when you look at who they play ahead of Virginia Tech, I don't think they're overly, if I remember correctly, I don't think they're overly tested, but they do have a bye. So that kind of played into it a little bit as well. But I think, you know, I had Virginia Tech, 
beating ODU, beating Purdue. I think losing to Rutgers because it's the first road game and there's so much youth, I think that's going to be tough. Um, I think that's going to make it even harder, just the the inexperience. Um, but then I think they figure it out, and I think that they – I don't think it's going to be a, a, a dominant game by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's going to be closer than most people expect. Um, but I think Virginia Tech squeaks out of there. Um, I think I think they're going to need to also, you know, looking at what's coming up behind that. You know, you have – if let's say if Virginia Tech – if if I predicted right, who knows if I do or not, they beat ODU, they beat Purdue, they lose to Rutgers. If they lose that Marshall game, I mean, I think they're going to lose Pitt and Florida State. If they lose four straight in that stretch, I think things are going to get ugly pretty quick. I think that's a, that's kind of a pivotal game right there for Virginia Tech where, where they're going to need to make sure that they are tuned up for ACC play, that they are, you know, maximizing the potential that they have uh, and I think it's I think it's a little bit of a trap game um, but I see Virginia Tech escaping it I didn't realize that Marshall has scheduled a bye before the Virginia Tech game they have a bye week three until right now um, which is I guess they did that intentionally to set up the set up the tech game which kudos to them for that setting up I don't know what that is nine straight games after that to finish the year um, that only makes me a little more confident in this pick. Um, Marshall, Virginia Tech in the last three years went three and nine, five and six, six and six, whatever. We've we've been over that before. Marshall has not lost, has not lost fewer than, no, has not won fewer than seven games in the last six years and nine of the last 10 years. They are as competent of a program as the G5 program as you can get at this point. Um, and it's their Super Bowl. They sold it out. I saw they announced that this week. They scheduled the buy around it. Um, if ODU treats their game against Virginia Tech like the Super Bowl when it's played at Norfolk, same thing about Marshall. Um, I just, I just think it's a tough matchup for where Virginia Tech's program is right now. Going up, going on the road against a team that has is a proven winner that they just, you know, they win seven or more games basically every single year. And, and you know, the, the tech September schedule is just kind of funky. Like Purdue Rutgers Marshall is not the, not going to be the prettiest set of games or the most exciting set of games. And Marshall's at the tail end of that. It'll be a tough environment with, you know, they'll be all excited to, to have Virginia tech um, there. I just think it's a, not a great matchup um, for for what Virginia Tech has struggled to do in the last three years against a program like Old Dominion that is not that has not been very good, and Marshall has been much better. So that's why I'm going that way. You know, one thing that I think is is interesting looking at it too that favors Marshall more than Virginia Tech is you know Marshall opens against Albany and East Carolina. And then they play Virginia Tech after the bye, where Virginia Tech has Old Dominion, Purdue, and Rutgers. There will be enough film on Virginia Tech's offense and defense of what they plan to do, their trends, their tendencies, by the time they hit Marshall. But I can't say that the same will be true on the other side. I don't think Marshall needs to show too much to beat Albany. Maybe East Carolina will give them a little bit of a run. 
but I still don't know that, that Virginia Tech will truly know what Marshall is or could be by the time they play. And I think that makes Marshall a little bit scarier of an opponent. Yeah, Tech's going to have to empty the playbook basically the first three weeks of the year. Mar- Marshall doesn't have to do that at all. Maybe to get by ECU, but you're not going to show that much by in that game. A hot debate where you guys really both made compelling points for the other person. So <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Talk about confidence. Uh, I, I guess at last I have a look at this schedule, right? We all came out with pretty much the exact same sort of median result, right? Between five and seven with Matei and seven and five with Evan. What's the ceiling and the floor? The way I see it, seven wins, throw a parade, eight wins, lifetime contract for Brent Pry. The floor, which is unfortunately relatively easy to imagine, a couple injuries on the offensive line. We're standing, Pat, potentially even a regression. Don't think that's likely, but it is possible. Can't say that about some other programs. There's no scenario in which Florida State wins two games. In your guys' eyes, what's the ceiling? What's the floor? You know, looking at the schedule, and I put this in my my article, is that I see one game on the on the schedule right now that is, in my opinion, unwinnable. I do not think Virginia Tech will beat Florida State. Been wrong before. I just don't see it. But I also don't see games where I can look at this and say they're automatically going to win this game. There's no gimmies for Virginia Tech. I think a lot of this is going to be close games, you know, within maybe within a touchdown, within 10 points, something like that. Games that could swing either way. And Virginia Tech's going to have to find some luck and they're going to have to find a way to stay healthy. I don't think a bowl game is out of the question at any by any stretch of the imagination. It's the ACC wonky things happen. I think Virginia Tech could right the ship and, you know, get six to seven wins. But I also could see a situation where they get three or four, right? Like I I, I wouldn't be shocked, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if Virginia Tech somehow found a way with some luck and, and the way the ACC runs to falling into eight wins. But I don't think it's, I don't think that's going to be probable. I think right now, you know, I think we're all hitting it kind of on the head with that five to seven win range. It, it wouldn't be a shock to see them hit six. Wouldn't be a shock to hit seven. Maybe they overperform and hit eight, but it also wouldn't be surprising if they underperform and hit four. You know, it's, it's just the schedule doesn't set up for them to be able to just walk through and win a couple games on paper before they're even played. I think seven is probably the, like the highest ceiling that you can possibly build. Um, five, Five wins is probably most likely. Um, I'm looking at, I wrote the article last week about the analytics and what they're projecting. I'm looking at, I mean, once you factor in home field advantage, uh, Pitt, FSU, Louisville, and NC State are all double-digit margins in favor of the other team. Um, so I think those are four pretty safe losses. Wake is a touchdown. Um, and, and then Purdue's a field goal. And then you've got four games, Rutgers, BC, or three games, Rutgers, BC, and UVA that are all less than a point, like just the truest toss-ups as you could get. So I think you're looking at somewhere in that five to six win range. Seven is probably the highest I'll go. And 
I do think like the bottom could drop out even more this year. Um, given what we've talked about with the offensive line, like two two wins is kind of on the table, or it's definitely on the table. Like ODU, pretty confident in that one, but that's it. Um, playing Rutgers and Marshall on the road throws those pretty significantly up in the air. You know, Pitt, FSU, I think we're all in agreement there are pretty sure losses and then Louisville and NC State too. I mean, like, you look at like Wake. Wake has been a much better program than Virginia Tech for the last four years now. Um, UVA's on the road. BC's on the road. Last time Tech went up to U- Boston College, they got just, just like swallowed. Um, I just don't think, like... I think if the offensive line struggles like we think it could, it could get really ugly, um, like worse than expected, kind of ugly. So I, I would put the floor at like two wins. I put the ceiling at seven, and then like like we've all been talking about, kind of feels like a team that, especially given last year, those close losses, those one point or one score games that were swung on like. You know, you could the Georgia Tech game swung on turnovers, the ODU game swung on turnovers, the NC State game swung because probably because Chance Black muffed two kickoff returns and just swung the field position there. So like they were close enough last year to make you think like a couple more wins, like five or six is definitely possible. But I mean, they still last he like last year they still only beat Liberty by one point in the last game of the year and everybody's talking about how great Tech's defense looked when Pride turned it over to Marv and it's like he still only beat Liberty by by one in the season finale like it wasn't that much of an improvement um, so I, I I think there's a wide range obviously more likely in the middle there like five or six but um, I could I could definitely see the bottom drop out. We promised it, and now we deliver. Doug, rest your voice from that long rant you went on two seconds ago, because there's more coming. The only man on the planet that has the capability to preview Old Dominion will tell you about them right now. Now, I'll preface it a little bit as you drink that water. If you remember last year's Old Dominion preview, which I believe was just me and Doug, I don't we remember that the, at all. What what did we say? I can't imagine. We basically spent the entire time talking ourselves out of our ultimate prediction that Virginia Tech would win the football game. Just position by position, it was tight end. Oh, I was very high on ODU's offense last we year. And it turns out they actually points. weren't even that good. No. But you were right. They had the better tight end. They had the best wide receiver on the field, he now plays for Virginia Tech. Quarterback, I mean, neither of them were great. But ultimately, Old Dominion came to win that game. The point here being, though, that last year's Old Dominion team, which wasn't a world beater by any means, just a Virginia Tech beater, had at least players with a track record that you could refer to. This year, not so much. Doug, what do we know? Uh, not much, as we've talked about. They have 58 new players on the roster, 27 transfers. Um, they have they have so many new players. There's an entire section dedicated to how many new players they have in the game notes, and it's like we they're basically like we have the seventh most new players in the country. Um, 
which it's which makes it difficult to uh to game plan for them. Probably talked about that today. They're going back to Fordham. They're pulling up the transfer highlights to identify personnel like as best you can, but um certainly a challenge. I think it helps that it's probably the first game of the year and they've had plenty of time to do all this. So, you know, I think overall overall this old last year's old Dominion team, as Andrew said, is was was more top heavy. They had they had a few really good players that could win one game against the power five level, basically. And they did that. Ollie Jennings made the play of the game to set up the game winning touchdown, basically. He was one of the top players. Zach Coons plays for the Jets now, I think. They've they've got a they had like five players that um Three players were drafted off last year's team. Two more made NFL training camps. Um, Blake Watson transferred the running back, transferred to Memphis. Like they were pretty good at the top of the roster. The reason they went three nine was they didn't have any depth. So now they've kind of replaced the entire roster, but they don't have that top end talent anymore, which is why I think Virginia Tech has a pretty big advantage. Um, the 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 big question is like, can you? Can you effectively game plan against an offense that you haven't really seen the quarterback? You're relying on film from the F, from a Patriot League program to kind of show you the the tendencies and what they want. And then there's a bunch of players that you just don't really know. So um, it, it it seems like a little bit challenging, but like I think it's a really positive thing for Virginia Tech that the players don't scare you. It's like the unknown of the scheme scares you. Like at the end of the day, it's going to be about the players and how good they are on the field and whether you can win one-on-one battles and Virginia tech should handily win that. So that's why I think they're going to win it by um, two scores or so. I will say someone that can resonate with Brent Pry right now, going deep into those FCFs tapes from 2022 Josh Heupel over at Tennessee game planning for UVA going into uh, week one here where Tennessee is a 28 point favorite going into the contest. If you want to catch that one, that'll be a nooner on ABC. Matei, I mean, the, the record speaks for itself, right? Two and two, these programs are against each other. Someone's got to take the uh, the rubber match here. Do we have any reason to believe it's not going to be Virginia Tech? And do we have any reason to believe it's not going to be Virginia Tech convincingly? I think that second one is, you know, that remains to be seen. Unless there's an aspiring minister at quarterback uh, that can throw for 500 yards and four touchdowns, I think Virginia Tech should win this game. Doug covered it pretty well. Um, As you mentioned before, he's probably the only one uh, in the nation that can cover them that well. Um, yeah, just looking at their their roster and their depth chart, the guys they brought in, a lot of transfers from all different levels. Um, but I think ultimately Virginia Tech will win this game. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, like I, I think the spread right now is 16 or 16 and a half. Um, and I really don't know if Virginia Tech will cover that. Like you would imagine that, with the wide receiver talent that they brought in, they'll have more separation, Uh, you know, facing off against this level. I don't think the offensive line will be exposed. Um, So I think they'll be able to, to run a bit more against old dominion offensively. And I think, you know, that will allow Virginia tech to score 
you know, upper 20s, maybe early 30s. Uh, and then defensively, I don't think Old Dominion has enough to get into the 20s. So um, I know, like, I would say this is probably like a 28 to 17 or 31 to 14 type of game. Um, I don't know it's going to be like super convincing multiple touchdowns uh, or, you know, more than three touchdowns type of game. But um, I think there there will be a healthy margin that Virginia Tech wins by. I don't know if it's going to be 16. I think it's going to be slightly under. I love the 31 to 14 score. I, I think it's perfect. You look at uh, the the offense. They brought in a new offensive coordinator, Kevin Decker. He was recruited by chip kelly at new hampshire the year before chip kelly left so that's if you if you start watching the offense and you're like this looks a lot like an oregon chip kelly spread offense because it probably mostly is um kind of air raidy he's gonna run like a lot of there's a couple weird youtube videos on fordham offensive football but he runs a lot of stacked wide receiver sets like he'll run two stacked guys in the slot or or four wide receivers spread as far across the field on each side as you can stacked. And if you look at these wide receivers, they're 161 pounds, Isaiah Page, 178 pounds, Javon Harvey, and 100 set. Like their starting wide receivers are smaller than, are like the size of Braylon Johnson. Like they're, they're fast and quick and they're meant to get the ball out really really quick out of grant wilson's hand hand so i think like 14 points a couple pretty good drives based on like the scheme of the offense feels right um but mostly i i think where tech's big advantage is is on the defensive line actually um with fuga kendricks and bollard in the middle al ryland and um burgos on the on the at defensive end i just think they wear this offensive line like the 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 disparity in talent is going to be noticeable there at the on, the, on the line of scrimmage between Tech's defensive line against, against the bottom of the barrel G5 offensive line. And that's, that's probably going to be the difference in the game. And then Tech makes a couple plays on a couple more plays than they would last year on offense. And I like 31, 14. I, I can get to that. I can get behind that pretty good. I think, I think one thing to, that you all have kind of touched on that to keep in mind too, with ODU is, when you're replacing a whole, you're putting in a whole new system, a whole new offensive system with the new offensive coordinator, and you've turned over 70% of your roster. It doesn't matter that you, how many practices you've had from the spring to the fall. It's not enough yet, right? That that's going to take time to gel. It's going to take time to build. I, I like, that's one of the things I look at with the transfer portal and like the Colorado approach where you, gut the roster and bring in all these people from all over. It's going to take a little bit of time to get everybody to buy in the right way and to get everybody to know their, not only their position, but trusting their position and trusting the person next to you. That's also learning it at the same time. So, you know, I think I'm I'm kind of with you. I think there will be some drives. There'll be some sustainment. I I wouldn't be shocked to see some touchdowns and, and some big plays, from ODU, um, you know, that that Oregon system is one that I think personally you have to be more entrenched in it for a long time. It's gimmicky, but it's gimmicky because it works so well over time. I don't think the first game 
is going to look like the end product that they want it to look like. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of around in that same area. I think Virginia Tech will hit on some big plays. I think you'll see, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Tootin have a big game. I think he's going to be relied on pretty heavily. Um, you know, the big thing for me is going to be is, is, is can Grant Wells shake what happened last year? You know, his mentally, that's going to be tough for him. He had the worst showing he's probably ever had. Um, and I don't know that he ever fully recovered from it. And now he's going to have to do face the same team at home uh, in the season opener under the lights. I, I just worry if it's going to get in his head too much. Um, and maybe that's a time where if things break down, you see drones and you see him early and let him run and run the offense on the ground. Because I think that, uh, you know, I think that's going to be a big thing to watch is the psyche of Grant Wells. I think he's got the arm talent to clearly win some games. He's got really good arm talent, but but it's going to happen. What be what happens between the ears for him? Yeah, I like I like what Evan talked about about the first game thing. Like Decker, the offensive coordinator they hired, I think he appears to be like a pretty good up and comer. Like Fordham led the Patriot League in offense in all four of year all fours of years. Last year they averaged fifty points a game and like the second they were over six hundred yards a game last year, like second best FCS offense ever. Like if you're old Dominion coming off a three and nine year looking for like a offensive coordinator coordinator that can change your program, the top of the FCS is probably the the best you could hope for um in that situation. So it's interesting, but I, I, I agree completely with Evan that like game one is not, but like, I kind of think ODU might surprise some people based off that in the Sun Belt. And I was even when I was working on my preview, I was like, I should probably bet them over whatever their win total is on the year, but they're in Virginia. So I can't do that. Um, but like, I, I think they might surprise people just based on that toward the end of the year once they get some experience in it. So um, it just doesn't seem like a a good situation to game one lane stadium, eight o'clock does not seem like a good situation to bring 57 new players, a new offensive coordinator, a new offensive line coach into the, into the mix and, and play 60 minutes. So um, they do have, you know, Jaleel Taylor played at UNC He's the starting defensive tackle. I actually like their defensive tackle kind of rotation. I think they might be a, like a decent test for Bob Schick and that interior offensive line for Virginia Tech. But like overall, it seems seems pretty early. They would like to do the Marshall trick, I think, and take a bye week before take a bye week before week four and play this game again. I think. Yeah, I think when you look at two there. Just like Virginia Tech, the thing that's going to come down to with ODU and their offense is the O line. When you're when you're trying to run this new system, do your O linemen you had fit the system? And did you have to go to the portal to find guys that can run a similar system? Um, because that's where it's going to kind of make or break. And we saw that last year with Virginia Tech. You know, you went out and got a big time O line coach, one of the best in the country, in Joe Rudolph. But the players didn't fit the scheme. And it takes years to develop O-linemen to fit the scheme of what you want to run, what he wanted to run at Virginia Tech, coming from more of a uh, more of like an inside zone smash mouth that Vance Vice ran 
to, you know, the pin and pool that he wanted to run and now going back to an inside zone for Virginia Tech. I think Virginia Tech already has the personnel on the roster to to kind of morph back into that, uh, what they were recruited to run, that that inside zone offensive line where at ODU you're switching to this, you know, Oregon-based kind of air raid gimmicky offense. They may not have the O-line personnel to run it yet, but I'm, I'm with you. I think they're, I think that offense will get much better. And I think if you watch ODU throughout the year, the year, I think we'll see them steadily progress as the O-line gels, as the system becomes a little bit cleaner and it becomes a little bit more as a machine, um, you know, and, and these transfers start to learn a little bit more about what their responsibilities are and, and kind of getting the, season under their belt it's tough when you replace 70 percent of your roster in one year i think that first game is going to be a learning curve uh one last guy i have to mention for old dominion is their linebacker jason henderson um led the country in tackles last year 186 tackles um which is an excessive amount uh, um it, clearly very good he's on every single defensive player watch list, Nagurski, Lombardi, whatever, all of them, Outland. I think that's the offensive line one, but he's on everything. Um, he's he's the one guy you have to know about. I mean, he had multiple games last year with 20-plus tackles. If I'm – if I'm, I guess one of the underlying stories is, like, can Tyler Bowen scheme a game – put together a game plan to make – to, like, isolate Henderson and, make, and take him out? To, to make other people tackle the ball carrier other because because ODU's entire defense is clearly to funnel the the ball carrier to, to Henderson can can Bowen figure out how to avoid that um I think is a kind of like a dark horse little storyline to follow there um the other thing is to watch after the game if I'm Brent Pry and Chris Marv and I'm going over to shake players' hands after the game in the transfer portal era. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shake Casey Henderson's hand a little bit longer. Maybe give him a little wink, little, you know, hug, and whisper something in his ear and see what happens after the season. Just saying that. Some sweet nothings. I, you never know. I'm gonna say one last thing. Allie Jennings revenge game. We didn't bring it up yet. I'm going to say he has a touchdown in this game. I think they're going to Why is he getting win. revenge on Odie? Is there revenge of the people that gave him a second shot at life? <laughs> well, now he's at his third school, so he's taking it out on the team that he used to play for. Um, I don't know. The, the players always get up when they face their old teams. So it doesn't have oh, to he be. He doesn't know anybody much. on that team anymore. <laughs> he doesn't know 58 They're people. all gone. <laughs> Doug, when you said you get something to watch after the game, I thought you were going to say that the locker room was going to get robbed. Oh. <laughs> you went there, huh? <laughs> A couple of points. Number one. The 31 to 14 score would be a one point cover. Yes, a one point cover. Virginia Tech currently favored Vegas by 16, knows. at least according to Caesar Sportsbook. Vegas knows. Other games to watch week one. Again, oh, Virginia Tech is not the only the team that we don't know anything about. Rutgers facing Northwestern. I believe that's going to be. A game kind of on an island there. Right? Bet in the under. 
Sunday, Sunday at noon on CBS. Holy under. Who's yeah, the new coach you, now for Northwestern? Yeah, who cares? Uh, <laughs> regardless, <laughs> Rutgers is a six and a half point favorite in that contest. What's the under? 12. 39 and a half. Oh my God. That's your number. 39 and a half. On the spot, Doug. Under. All right. Still going under. As for Purdue, home game, Big Ten Network, not necessarily big noon Saturday, but it's at noon and it's on a Saturday. They're playing Fresno State. Purdue, just a three and a half point favorite. Trappy game. Fresno State's pretty good. Take yeah. Fresno State and the points. I'm not a better, but that's where I'm, I'm Although going. that's at Purdue. It's at Purdue. Last time Fresno State lost, October 8th, 2022. They gave Purdue, so Fresno State's playing a 10 a.m. game, basically. It's a degenerate move, but it's fair. It's very fair. It's I only lost to big hitters last year, Fresno State. They lost to Oregon State. They lost on the road at USC. They lost on the road at Boise State. And they lost on the road at UConn. I was only if, the best. They came back and beat Boise State, by the way, in the Mountain West Championship, a team that they had previously lost to by 20 points. They won by double digits. I was so, re- who knows? I was reading about Purdue today. They they changed their they hired Ryan Walters as their head coach. He runs this, as you call it, an air stack defense with it with a five man front. It's basically like a little bit of Bud Foster's bear type defense a little bit. But they had to replace the entire defensive line because you've got to have three defensive tackles, basically. So they went out and they added guys. They're all from the SEC, I believe. So if you're watching that Purdue game, pay particular attention to how the defense is doing. Didn't they also, didn't Purdue also lose all of their defensive backs? Yes. And Walters is a defense, as a secondary guy, like grew up or came up in the coaching ranks that day. So the, they, they think that he basically told all their DPs to hit the road and replace them all when he came in. All right. Well, I'll tell you this much folks. I have no comment on Nebraska's Eric Gilbert. I have no comment. That's it. Enough. I will say Thursday, Minnesota, you'll be tuned in. So will I. But my last question for you guys in our last opportunity to speak in broad generalities is this. In late November, we'll call it the end of the regular season. What do you need to have seen from Virginia Tech to consider this season a success? That's not a number. What do you need to have seen? Matei, you can start. That's not a number. I would say probably having Grant Wells still being the quarterback because that would mean that the offense has grown leaps and bounds and he's grown into his role. He's comfortable there. The coaching staff is comfortable with him. He's not making mistakes. And uh, even though we know drones will be playing in certain packages, um, I think if we see a lot of turnover, whether it's a quarterback specifically for the offense, I think everyone wants to see the offense get better this season. 
um, or the defense, you know, just specific, you know, the guys that are starting week one, well, there's going to be some changes somewhere on the depth chart, but at those important positions, will those guys remain by late November? Yeah, for me, it's got to be an answer at quarterback, whether it's Wells or whether it's Drones. By the end of the year, Tech has to. It would be a successful season at a number of wins if you can head into the offseason feeling good about who's playing quarterback next year. Um, Doesn't have to be Wells. Could be Drones. Could be – it's not going to be Pop Watson, but it could be – Either of those guys, like you want a little bit of momentum heading into the offseason, because otherwise you're going back to the portal. You're teaching a guy a new system again in the sprint. You're, like, you're basically starting over, and it feels like tech needs to be at a point where they're like, they're, they're rolling heading into week three with like who your quarterback is going into another year in the system, and you're just kind of building around the edges as opposed to rebuilding the whole the whole system again because you whiffed on your quarterbacks for another year so um it's a really real possibility i mean especially in today's age quarterbacks filter and filter out pretty quickly um and and every year basically but it's really really beneficial it feels like it would be really beneficial for year three of print pry to to go into that year knowing who you who your quarterback is at the end of this year. I think you have to know to make it a success. I think we have to be able to pinpoint and know what Virginia tech's identity is on both sides of the ball, because I think we've had questions there on what kind of defense this is. What's the offensive philosophy. Um, You know, it's looked uh, the defense has looked good at times and inconsistent. The offense has rarely looked good so far and we don't really know what it is. Um, So I think if the offense consistency uh, improves even marginally, you know, and I think we have an idea of what the system actually is. And if the run game is improving, if the run game is existing, um, you know, I think good things happen when you can run the ball. I think they want to run it. They've got a proven back in my opinion that can handle the workload and can run it. And if the run game is working, the O-line is taking steps to get better. And I think that's what you need to show progress. So, you know, if you can, if you can show an offensive identity and an improved run game, I think Virginia tech has a lot to build on uh, moving into the future. For me, it's just the eye test in November, in late October, are you going into every Virginia Tech game? Because like Evan mentioned before, the only game that at least from here today looks like it should be a total blowout is Florida State. Florida State is a great opportunity for a moral victory if you can keep the game close. But even against NC State, even against Louisville, Syracuse, Boston College, you're not going to win them all, Pittsburgh. Are we keeping it competitive? Is Virginia Tech in the game for all four quarters? Do you, as a fan, feel a desire to sit down on your couch or go to the bar or bring yourself to Lane Stadium and watch the game and feel like you have a chance? Couldn't say that every single game last year. If that can come back in at least 80% of the time, knowing that most of this roster will come back and the recruiting is building the way that it is, 
that will be something that Brent Pry can take onto the recruiting trail. It's a message that he can take to the fan base that, yeah, we might have started from the bottom and we're not there yet. But look at what we've done. And, uh, that, and that's what I hope to see. So my message to all of you, just as it was last year, please don't freak out for every single loss. I think certain situations could be worth freaking out over. But this team is a team with a seven-win ceiling. You know, this isn't year six of the Fuente era where the rubber has met the road. We are truly rebuilding for the first time since Frank Beamer was here at Virginia Tech. And you're looking for progress, not immediate results. And that's what I have to say about that. All right, gentlemen, any final thoughts, parting words, things you're excited for in week one? Just anything you have to say to the public before we shut this thing down. I will say if you are freaking out, please come to the VT Scoop boards. We'll talk you through it. Um, and while you're there, consider a subscription. Uh, other than that, I think uh, what's the big game? Is it not on Sunday? It's LSU, Florida FSU. State. Yep. I, that's what I'm looking forward to week one. Look at Matei throwing in some subscription uh, plugs here. Come on. After the We've got five, a, lot of, a lot of subscription talk. To after the five and seven prediction, I had to do something to kind of sweeten the pot here. <laughs> My job. throw some love to Colby and Matei gets, Matei gets biffed and has to come out, <laughs> come out swinging. I will say I will elevate any negative thoughts about the team on the board just to fulfill <laughs> my villain role. Doug, what are you excited for week one? Uh, Kyron Drones. Let's go. I'm, I'm holding on to my prediction. Gonna be interesting. I see. can't even acknowledge that you said that because we start an entire <laughs> other podcast. <laughs> no, Please. around the country. Around the country. Year, Last year we were a Nebraska Kansas Duke podcast. I don't know if any of them are going to be any good this year, but um, excited to find out. I think Duke is getting a lot of positive press, but they have a really tough schedule. Duke, really it's, still Duke. it's like I mean, they. I don't know. I want to bet under for whatever their win total is too, because it feels like a. I hate I hate to bail on them after last season, but. Um, I'll be curious. Who do you got week one? So, are, are you going to put your life savings on Clemson minus thirteen? Oh, a hundred percent. Yes, that is yeah, a great too, line. Probably. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that feels that feels that feels good. Is that really it? That's it. Get oh. it while it's hot. If you it, want, is, it is at Wallace Wade. Take out a loan for me and uh, just bet the same. I'll Venmo you. Probably shouldn't say that. Maybe we can put. The revenue from any subscription sold as a result. Hey, there it is. <laughs> we'll throw it down. We'll throw it all down. And then we'll take all the revenue from our Duke winnings. Excuse me, our Clemson winnings. Duke will be the loser. Correct. Into uh, Airbnb is Laxburg. We can have a VT scoop crib that a lucky subscriber wins every week. I'm just throwing Sounds out terrible. ideas. <laughs> Well, it would mostly all be right. me. Uh, Evan, all right. Final thoughts. Anything you're excited for outside of Virginia Tech? I know that you you have a, a generally a pretty narrow focus. Just that football's back. I mean, just, it was it was a good 
week zero was was entertaining enough. You know, I could I could even stay up late and watch some uh, watch some late night games and do some work. So I just I love it when football's back on TV. So yeah, that's really what I'm looking forward to. Is I'll be driving probably most of the day Saturday to get to the to the ODU Tech game. But other than that, you know, I like to just excited to see football back uh, being played everywhere. Evan, will you be joining me on the Hokie House pregame show, 5 p.m. Hokie House on Saturday as we get ready for this game? Right now, I'm to be determined. Oh, that'll be I'll be a game. I'm going to be a game time decision because I got to my kids started school this week. We're trying to figure out how they're doing with that, when I'm leaving, when I'm getting into town, all of that. So I'm trying to I'm trying to work it all in my schedule. You can figure that out on Friday. Yeah. Hey, yeah, well, there's only one way out. to find out, right? There's only one way to find out whether Evan will be there. I'll be at Hokie House live radio, 5 p.m. on Saturday. Should be really exciting. Should be a lot of fun. Would love to meet any uh, listeners who might not necessarily be the tailgate type. Come on down. You have a decent chance of beating Evan. And <laughs> no is one knows Jeremy, what it's like. Is Jeremy going to be there? Jeremy is going to be there. Okay. You got also got a decent shot of getting free alcohol for the duration of being there. If Jeremy, you have essentially a one hundred percent chance <laughs> of getting free alcohol if you're above twenty one. Because Doctor Jeremy counts as there. Well, they won't let you into the bar if you're under twenty one. So that's not Jeremy's problem. That would be a uh, that would be a bouncer problem. But all right, let's quit while we're ahead here. BT scoop. 24-7 sports. I am about to run through a brick wall. It is football season. The rubber meets the road after this week, and, you know, we get to start stop talking in broad generalities and start talking about actual results on the field. But there is something to be said for that. You are going to want to stick with us all the way. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Go get that VIP subscription, not only if you care about this season – but if you care about the future of the program and the young men that are being called upon to take this thing forward, all the information in one spot, vtscoop.com. I'm Andrew Alex. For Doug, for Matei, for Evan G. Watkins, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. And as always, go Hokies.